0: I'm on, right? I have a big mouth anyway, so. Hey, what was that all about? That was an amen, right? You agreed with me. (laughs) What a joy it is to fellowship with you. We always look forward to coming. And uh, as Judy says, when uh, she's not with me, I don't look nearly as well as I do. Isn't that right? Thank you for those kind words, uh, Danny and Michelle, and uh, for your gracious uh, support of us over the years. It'll be 16 years in June when uh, we step down, and uh, Pastor James was raised up very well. His dad has been a mentor of mine over the decades, and so uh, every time I am with him, I see the effects of the training that he received. But as he has already mentioned, the support of this church for the district has just been phenomenal. Uh, and then to, in these recent uh, months and years to have the departmental leadership uh, on the district level that you have shared. You are truly a uh, district church, but you're a global church because of all that you're involved in. And there's no way we can uh, take credit for any of that. It's because of who you are and what you do and what you're letting God do in and through you. So I do. Uh, Praise the Lord for that. Uh, The diversity of the district, he alluded to that. Uh, Yesterday morning I was Spanish. Last night I was Armenian. This morning I'm English and tonight I'll be Korean. So that's just one weekend of activity. So if I act like I'm schizophrenic, I'm still trying to find out who I am. (laughs) But it is a joy to uh, see how God works in all the diversity uh, of the district and in the kingdom of God. I had no idea I would ever be in this assignment, and especially had no idea I would last this long. And don't know if I'll last till June or not, but we'll see how God blesses and does that. It has been a true delight to be in this ministry. I just wish I could be in most of the churches every Sunday, because every time I'm there, oh, I'd like to come back. I'd like to come back and be a part of this fellowship. And especially those times when I've been able to be in a service where I'm not the speaker. I get to listen to the pastor and can receive what you receive on a regular basis. I say, man, I wish I could be a part of that congregation. And the Lord has not allowed that. And we'll have to. And my home church wishes they could see me more. Uh, we're members in Monrovia, and they see us very seldom because I'm at a different place every Sunday. But uh, they've prayed for us faithfully for these years as a part of their congregation, and, and we are very grateful for that. So there's so much that I could say, but we're here to share uh, God's word. And in one sense, I uh, even prayed, Lord, is this, is this where you want me to go with my message today? Because in many respects you're living it out, and yet he said, this is where I want you to go today. So with God's help, uh, I'll go there and trust him for uh, planting and growing and and watering that seed in your heart. But I'm I'm, I'm talking today about how you can increase the joy in others. You know, we talk about joy, and we talk about uh, being body of Christ, but how we actually bring joy. We're a part of the joy atmosphere in the fellowship. And you are a joyous congregation. There's no doubt about that at all. And the way you behave, as uh, I've been a part of that, uh, you do share joy. But if we knew how we could increase that, you know, what would that look like? You know, can we do it any better? Can we grow any stronger uh, in joy? Um, I-, I think that God's Word gives us that kind of insight of how we can share with that. Now obviously you know that there's a big difference between joy and, and happiness. Happiness is, is based on external circumstances. Uh, when the sun is light today, wow, I'm happy about this. I'd like to have ridden the motorcycle up here today, but Judy doesn't ride and I wanted her to be with me, so I'm in a four-wheeled vehicle. I did get a chance to ride 180 miles uh, Thursday to meet with my pastors and that was a joy. But you're happy when it's weather like this. We were happy Friday night when the rain just came down. Lord, let it come. The circumstance, we need rain. I appreciate hearing you pray for rain uh, as a community in that sense. We've been doing it in our area. Circumstances will either make us happy or will make us unhappy. It's externally driven. And if the externals look good, then we feel good. If the externals don't look good, we feel not so good. Whereas joy is something that is not dependent upon external circumstances. Joy is something that really comes from deep within that we can't generate. It's not a matter of just in your mind over matter saying, I'm going to be joyful over this. There are some situations in our life that you just can't conjure up joy. And so it has to have some source other than just our mind or just our own heart, our own attitude. I find it interesting that Paul's most personal letter is about joy. Philippians is the book we're going to be in today. And you'll remember that, that Paul was deep in a dungeon, chained. That's where he spent a lot of his life, you know. Uh, we, when we travel, we like to check out the hotels. He checked out the jails. I mean... And, and during some of Judy's illnesses over our years, when we would go somewhere, we'd check out the hospital. Well, how many different hospitals we've been in when we've been traveling because of the circumstances that she was going through at that particular time. Well, Paul checked out the jails. He knew he's probably going to end up there anyway, so let's see what they're like from the inside, you know. It's kind of like our daughter, when she was growing up, every restaurant we, we went into, she wanted to check out the restroom. <laughs> Inevitably, you know, she had to go <laughs> and uh, check it out and see what it was like in the midst of a dungeon, deep, chained to guards. It's amazing his emphasis on joy in this book. This short four chapter book, he alludes to joy or rejoicing at least fourteen times as he writes this letter, and that's why I'm saying that joy is independent. Of your circumstances. Well, the good news of that is, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, we can have joy in the midst of it. Joy on the journey. And we can live a life of rejoicing, even out of very difficult hardships. But the really good news is, no matter how much joy you may have, it's never exhausted. You don't use it up. It seems like the more joy you have, the more is there for us because of where that joy comes from. So whatever our experience, there's more joy that's available for us. And so here's how Paul refers to it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. I want to pick up just this first phrase where he says, Make my joy complete. Now he goes ahead and describes some ways in which to do that. But but just the phrase, make my joy complete, he is saying to the church at Philippi, you can contribute to my joy. He says to each of us, you have a say-so in my joy. You have a valuable part of the joy of my life. And so he says, make my joy complete. That's why if I were going to use this in an overhead, I've actually entitled this message, The Joy of Partnerships. The fact that we are partners together in joy. So how do we bring joy to one another? Well, it's not a complicated outline today. That's why I didn't put it on the overhead. I figured you could probably figure it out. You don't need to see it in print necessarily. It's a very simple acrostic that you're all familiar with, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. We talk about that as well as a priority of joy. So when we talk about Jesus, I want to share with you another from this book, uh, a description of Jesus using the the acrostic MAP, M-A-P. Or in uh, police radio, we'd say, Mary, Adam, Paul, M-A-P, Matt. That's a good word for Jesus, because he is. Well, the end in describing Jesus is the word model. Jesus is our model. He's the ideal model. Here's what's described there in chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Jesus. That starts out in a very, very high standard. How's your attitude? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then it describes his attitude, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. What was Jesus' attitude? Well, first of all, he gave up his rights. Whoa. In our culture today, uh, it, it, that's a touchy issue. I have the right to do this, you know. I've even heard that as a DS when I've had an upset board member talk to me about his or her rights. Or even as a church board in their total, we have a right. To do this. And every time I hear that. I'm thinking. Whoa. How, how does that compare? And rather than make accusations. My approach is to tend to ask questions. How does that square away with this? And let them try to give the answer. And invariably. They understand. We really can't defend that position. Jesus gave up his rights, Who being in very nature. God. Oh we could go down that trail, and talk about the Godhead, Jesus. He was a part of the creation, Scripture says, the triune Godhead. We are here because of Jesus' involvement from the very beginning of time. He gave that up. It says, being in the very nature of God did not consider equality as something to be held on to. I don't have the right to behave like God. God. Think about that. Because when you look in John, Jesus says, I speak only that which the Father has told me to speak. I have done only that which the Father has told me to do. Jesus was in complete submission to the Father where he could have exercised his own right. And that's the second aspect of his attitude. Not only did he give up his rights He gave up self directed ambition. Now, ambition is necessary. We would accomplish nothing in this life if we didn't have the ambition to do something. Ambition is a God given ability, talent, and skill that He wants us to utilize for the kingdom of God. It's not to be self directed. What do I want in life? What is my ambition? What do I want to become? Well, Jesus says that, first of all, if you're a believer, you have no rights. You gave them up. And when I'm talking with someone who has their life focused on themselves, I try to help them to understand that the focus is in the wrong direction. You have to give that up. And then the selfish or self-directed ambition. Jesus is our only model. Not only the best, but he's the only model that can help us in that area. So that's why I refer to him as our model, the M. But but simply having a model doesn't guarantee that you will look like that model. You understand that every religion in the world has similar moral codes. When you look at the moral codes... Of the various religions in the world, you don't find but very little difference, if any difference at all, in the moral level that mankind should live up to. The challenge is not a single one of those, except Christianity, has the ability to enable us to live up to that code. And so the A of the word map is activator. Jesus, not just the model. He is the activator that enables that to happen. In fact Paul says in chapter 1 verse 6 being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. I've shared with the advisory board and you who were with us at our last district assembly realize that that was my themed verse. Confidence in transition. This is a transitioning year. So our church pastors are also retiring this year. Not am I just retiring, but there's transition going on. And if you look at global circumstances, we are in transition in global political situations. This Tuesday we'll see some transition, some wishing certain directions and others wishing other directions. But we are in transition. But we need to keep in mind as followers of Jesus Christ that our confidence is not in external circumstances. Our confidence is in Him who has begun something and promises to carry it on until He completes it, even unto the day of Christ Jesus. That means until that great coming back again. So first of all, we have to remind ourselves, God is at work. I would be in bad shape if God was not at work in me. I've already proven to myself by my own efforts of trying to do it by myself that I am not a very good life builder, much less a life liver. I need all the help I can get. That's why my helpmeet has been so valuable to me for a little over 48 years now. We need each other, but Jesus is at work. God is at work. Hallelujah. And he says, I'm not stopping. I like an attitude like that. I'm not stopping until I finish what I've started. Go for it. I need a lot of help. Just give him permission and let him go to work and have his way in my life for his glory, not for my glory. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. As you read through that entire book, those four brief chapters... He's struggling with what God's wanting to do in his life. He's in prison. He's making the best use of his time. He wrote more than half of the New Testament from the prison, various prisons. But we have more than half the New Testament because God allowed him to be in prison, doing a work in him. And then through him, he says, boy, it sure would look good to go home. Do we find ourselves saying, Lord Jesus, please come, or just let me go to heaven? But he said, is that what God wants? It'll probably be for your good if I hang around a while. Certainly has been for ours, hasn't it? He said, I don't know. Which way should it go? Whatever it is, it's up to the Lord. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he says later in chapter 2, verse 13, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. When he talks about God working in us, it's for our benefit. That's why it's such a bad decision to say no to God. God's doing that which is best for us, for you, regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in. It may not be a happy circumstance, but God is at work in you to act according to his good purpose. Now you know when you follow Paul's thought, why he can say in chapter 4 verse 13, I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. Wow. Whatever he wants me to do, he will enable me to do. Therefore, with confidence, I can step forward, not in my flesh, not in my own ambition, not in my own desire, my own ability, but because God said, that's the way to go. That's what I want you to do. I can do it through Christ who gives me so jesus is not only our model he's also our activator but he's also one more that's the p of the word map and it's what i call our provider you see as he closes out the book he says and my god in chapter 19 verse 4 and my god will meet all your needs According to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And when you follow that in its context, he's talking about material needs. He's not talking about, well, he'll help you spiritually. Well, we already know that. He's already said that he's the activator. He'll do that. But he also says that he cares about where we are materially. Well, we just have to confess, we're the richest nation on the globe. We are more blessed than we deserve being. And sometimes I'm very concerned that we've taken that for granted and we have become independent, self-dependent, dependent dependent from. And so I'm very concerned about my grandkids. My daughter's 37. I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old grandchild. And I read a book recently with a concept that's not, not left me. The greatest gift that grandparents can give their grandchildren is to bring them up understanding what it means to be a martyr for Jesus Christ because that's where we're headed in a world society in a godless culture that was a prophetic statement to me raise your grandchildren understanding what it means to be martyrs for Christ That's not meant to close on a negative note. That's just simply saying the reality of what we're dealing with in our life. But even in the midst of that, one of my colleagues that works with me at the district level just returned from Ukraine. And if you've been following the global situations in Ukraine and the massacres that are there and the persecution against Christians that are going on there, it's been amazing to see how God is meeting their needs and there is a joy in the camp. I put myself in that very frankly. I don't know how I can handle that kind of a lifestyle. The age I'm getting now, I'm even tired of going on some of these working witness trips because of the whole environment that, that, that I'm exposed to. But the joy that God is giving people in the midst of the hardships that they're having. David said this in Psalm 37, 25, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Or their children begging bread. That's a tough one to put into context when we see what's happening globally and with our persecuted church. I appreciate the emphasis on prayer and as you pray don't forget the persecuted church. We're not there yet but when you realize what happened in Houston uh, about three or four weeks ago when the mayor uh, began to issue subpoenas for sermons from the pastors because she wanted to find out what they were saying against various activities and what they were saying about political issues and the fact that we're still involved in that legally down there. Our American Defense Fund is working overtime on some of the issues that in our country that we are facing. I don't understand all that's going on except God's word is still true. I understand some of the things. I don't understand all of it. But God is still with us and he is still speaking to us. And so Nehemiah in the midst of their challenges, says, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Just saying that phrase just sent goosebumps up and down my arm. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And what excites me about that phrase in its overall context, it's not talking about my joy, it's not about the Lord's joy. Because my response to him in the midst of circumstances is such that he can take joy in me. Remember what uh, God said to Satan when he gave permission to Job, or to him, to to go after Job? He says, Go for him. I have joy in that boy. He's going to come through, no matter what you do to him. Here's the limitations. But he's going to come through. The Lord knew Job well enough that he could allow Satan to bring all kinds of hardship but he would still respond properly. The Lord had joy in Job. And when I read this in Nehemiah, don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus is our model. He's our activator and our provider. That's the J of joy. Now the last two letters are going to go very brief. O, others. Look at this book as it relates to others. Here's our focus. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now the reason he had to say that was later on in verse 21 of that chapter he says, For everyone looks out after his own interests, not those of Christ. We live in a culture where people look after themselves. It's all about me. Mine. I have a right to that. And so he tells us as followers of Jesus, each of you should look not only to your own interest. He's not saying ignore yourself. Take good care of yourself. You can't be used as an instrument if you don't take care of yourself. But also to the interest of others. We also... Don't just focus on others, you're there to serve others. When we talk about the you aspect or the why aspect. He even begins this letter by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That's how he introduced himself. And then he later on says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Not only is our focus on others, not only are we serving others, but we are partners together in the gospel. And that's why he says, in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because that means we're joy givers. We give joy as we serve and partner together. He says in this verse in Philippians 2. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. There's that exchanging of joy and rejoicing because of our serving others. Thank you for sharing your rescue mission Uh, response this week and I know you guys are actively involved in ministry in the community you are giving joy to each other but here's why it's so important to do that tucked away in verse 1 of chapter 3 is a phrase that I think we read over so fast finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and it is a safeguard for you. It's a, rejoicing is a safeguard. When you quit rejoicing and celebrating your joy, you have just cracked the door open for Satan to get his foot in with discouragement, disillusionment, disappointment. Somebody let you down. Somebody didn't follow through. We've got lousy material. I hate what's going on. Rejoicing is a safeguard for us. Now, simple illustration. Triangle. I probably could have done this on PowerPoint, but I'm not a good artist. I'll use the human that God gave me. Triangle. Top of the triangle is the J, Jesus. One side of the bottom of the triangle is Others, the O. And then the opposite side of that is the U, the Y. When you see the triangle, when you get closer to Jesus, when others get closer to Jesus, y'all are right there at the top with Jesus. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. I've got the love of Jesus, love of Jesus down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the love of Jesus, love of Jesus down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay, I know the devil doesn't like it, but it's down in my heart. Down in my heart, down in my heart, I know the devil doesn't like it, but it's down in my heart, down in my heart to stay, you done good. (laughs) I realize that I'm singing at an age level that most of you here remember (laughs) in your heart. And and what better way to celebrate joy than to close the service in a time of celebrating around the great sacrifice that Jesus gave for us? It's referred to as the Lord's Supper because it was the supper time. Now I realize that we're going to eat in a few minutes, and that won't be supper. That is going to be a good meal out there. Scripture says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance. Do it in remembrance. We're not told how often to do it. Some churches, even in our Nazarene uh, tribe, will do it every Sunday. If you read the recent Holiness Today, there was a question that someone had sent to the editor saying, you know, that seems like it's high church. Why, Why are people doing it every Sunday now? And it was interesting to read the answer to that. Scripture says as often as you do it. You could do it daily if you're doing it for the purpose that Scripture says. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Now now that phrase, remember, or that word remember is kind of interesting. Remember can refer to the past. I remember. Remember could remember the past as if you were there experiencing again. So you actually put yourself in that setting. But remember can also mean... Remember. We were once closer to the Lord than we are now. And the table reminds us that we can reconnect and remember. In the Church of the Nazarene, we practice what we call open communion. That means that you don't have to be a member of the Church of the Nazarene to celebrate this great Christian ritual. But I like where John Wesley went with this. You may not even be fully understanding if you're a Christian or not, but you're seeking, you're looking, you're wanting. And so he says, feel free to take communion and let the Holy Spirit speak to you, even in that process. And so in that sense, it's open. And so as our servants come to help us serve you We want to thank the Lord for this opportunity of sharing. Again, I want to thank you as a congregation for the support you've given to Judy and I personally and your pastor. But we're here to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and to praise and thank Him for what He's doing. Let's bow our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Even in the midst of the night, you said, do not weep, for joy comes in the morning. Father, this day, as our musicians come to help us celebrate, as our servants are here to help us celebrate, we are here to remember in all dynamics of that, Lord. We're here to say thank you, praise you, we honor you, and we certainly do this in remembrance of you. Let's continue an attitude of worship as our musicians lead us. Thank you, Father. Amen.